Welcome back to Chief Wellbeing Officer Podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 28. It's the Recovery Summit Special with Stephanie Akawi-Hughes. Um, so welcome back. This is a you know a last-minute decision to, to run this episode. The Recovery Summit is starting on Monday, featuring a fantastic lineup of speakers from Nobel laureates to Olympic champions. Uh, each day it is packed with fantastic-looking sessions. Stephanie is an architect who's doing some fantastic work in her own firm, ACA, uh, and a very insightful and, and progressive view of architecture and, and the role that spaces will play moving forward uh, as we emerge in this new or next normal uh, from COVID-19. So I've just finished this conversation with Stephanie. Uh, hopefully we can spin this round with Rob, our star producer, and get it out as, uh, with you know co- to coincide with with the summit starting on Monday morning. So Stephanie's on Tuesday afternoon at five p.m. Uh, and then I'm talking about habit hacks for the next normal on Friday afternoon. So uh, we talk about in this you know the importance of of innovating and iterating the kind of participatory design process that leads to spaces that are engaging. Uh, spaces that uh, I think uh, raise the emotions of of, of people, uh, and and we talk about the importance of different things in the workplace, of of culture, of trust, uh, and of redesigning processes so that it affects much more than just the workspace itself, but actually the value that a company can generate. Um, you know, there is the the kind of slightly. Uh, riskier side of things as well and and we even note this you know people like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella you know guarding against the rush towards you know working from home uh, and fully flexible working because then you're going to really crunch down on work-life balance how do you know when you are in work mode and how do you create as Stephanie talks about create the necessary distance from your working life and your non-working life. So many challenges moving forward, but I think with this conversation, we can see a lot of the the exciting possibilities that, that may come around in the workspaces of the future. So this fits perfectly well with this theme of well-being in the built environment uh, for Q2 on the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast, and it fits on perfectly from the last episode that we had with Dr. Whitney Gray. So enjoy this episode. Uh, please sign up for the Recovery Summit. Uh, there's a ton of fascinating looking talks there uh, starting on Monday. And I'll see you for the third and final episode of Wellbeing in the Built Environment before the end of June. So keep well, amigos. Bye for now. Ciao, ciao. So hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Um, are you looking forward to the Recovery Summit next week? Absolutely, Stephen. It's uh, it's going to be a great lineup. They have great speakers. I'm very honoured to be part of it, and I'm looking forward to all the different conversations and the different insights that uh, that are going to be discussed. So yeah, few days to go. Yeah, it's exciting, right? I mean, week long, and and you kind of sense the energy uh, that is coming through online, right? And 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 just that energy that you would often get at a big summit where everyone is in the same space and I think the guys have done a great job in trying to recreate that buzz so I'm really looking forward to it. So you're speaking on Tuesday afternoon is that right? Yeah exactly on the 16th yeah. And what, what tell us what you're going to be talking about a little in the, in that talk. 
So it's really about looking at how um, how the workplace can recover and where do we go from here in a sense. And I think, you know, there is a major difference between thinking about it as how do we make sure we go back to normal or how do we take this as an opportunity to create a new normal. Um, and I'm very much on the side of the second perspective. You know, how do we look at this and take that as an opportunity to create a better uh, reality and a better situation than we had it before. Um, you know, there's, there is in my head kind of three uh, timelines. There is before COVID, during COVID, and now after COVID. And after does not need to be the same as before. Um, you know, we can learn from the period of COVID to look at how do we expand our options. You know, one of the major things is really we, we have experienced during the lockdown period um, a way of working and a way of interacting that we never thought would work and never thought possible. And yet when you're forced into it, you know, you have to do it and you make it work. So now we've discovered, actually, it does work to a certain extent, right? I'm not saying it's ideal, but to a certain extent, it does work. And what that does is it stretches the, str- the spectrum of possibilities, if you will. You know, it's, it showed us that full-time working from home to a certain extent, does work. And it doesn't mean that this is how we have to move into the future, but it does mean that we have now stretched the possibilities from the usual one day a week before COVID to actually a lot more. And that gives us more choice uh, and more control. And I think um, for people working in organizations, uh, we all have different circumstances, uh, different um, ways of working, different personalities. And I think it's a great opportunity for workplace professionals to actually look at that and say, you know, not so much how do we find the new way of working for everyone, but maybe even how do we let people embrace and find their sweet spot And for us as workplace professionals, whether you're HR manager, facility manager, uh, you know, any kind of leader in any business, how do you support those choices and really make sure that the different choices that people make in their ways of working actually gel together and complement each other? So, you know, for us, it's become a little bit more uh, the attention not on which way of working should people adopt, but more as whatever way of working they adopt, we trust individuals will make it work for themselves. And then the kind of responsibility of business leaders and workplace leaders is to look at how do we make sure that the different ways that people are choosing work for each other, work for the team, work between departments and work for the organization and society as a whole. Yeah. I love that. I mean, in, in ter- we're empowering people, right? And if we look at the design process, a lot of the value that we get from any creative or, or design-led endeavor is that you have an aspect of co-design, is that the user is involved in generating and aiming to satisfy their needs. So a lot of what you're saying there is that we're getting that empowerment and that co-design of the people who are going to be using the space and working. That was some of the themes that we looked at with in the last episode with, with Whitney Gray. Um, and I love that what you said, stretching the spectrum of possibilities, right? I mean, we've been, we've been yeah. thrust in to this massive social experiment and never in a million years would, 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 would we have done this at this scale. But, no. you, know, it, you know, people have been forced into it and it's opened everyone's eyes. 
Um, so what, what we're getting to see, and, and as you say, you know, we've been thrust into this new reality of working from home and we've realised that, yeah, it, it really can work, whereas you never would have chosen, for example, to do an executive committee meeting or do a shareholder meeting uh, previously in this sense, but many of these things have taken place. But essentially, it was a confined reality. So now as we move from the before COVID, and I love that as well, The Economist has talked a lot about this BC and, and AD. Um, <laughs> and now as, as we move into the kind of post-pandemic side of things, we have the flexibility. So how do we take the best bits of the working from home, which was confined and was restricted, uh, and move forward to having that flexible working without going into the temptation of, of the way that was it was done before, let's say. It, it, it's a very interesting uh, theme and question to think about and a very difficult answer to give to because, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've been doing uh, quite a bit of research in the last few weeks at ACA and, you know, you get the answer you're almost expecting. It's not one size fits all. Uh, there is no, you know, the best bits for one person are the worst bits for another. And this uh, depends highly on the family situation. Who is actually at home when you're working at home? How does it work? Personalities, etc. So, you know, for me, the best way to um, learn and gather the insights of what the best bits are is indeed through this co-creation process that you already kind of briefly mentioned. We started ACA a few years ago and the whole premise was that architecture and design should be services and not products. And when you're talking about a service, you have to do it with people and for people. It's not something that you do yourself as an architect or designer. And then, you know, you, you put it on the shelf and people buy it if they like it. Right. So for me, that's simplistically, of course, but that's the idea between a product and a service. So we looked at how do you create um, spaces and environments where people are really supported and served in what works for them. And you can't really pretend to do that without the input of people. So we created this participatory process uh, almost a decade ago now. And with this whole pandemic situation and post-pandemic, and, you know, there is, there is almost no precedence to the situation we are in. So you have to literally innovate. You have to literally, uh, you know, find new answers. And the key here to what I mean by innovation is asking new questions. So for me, the way I define innovation very simply is the process of asking new questions and exploring new answers. And even to know what questions to ask, we need to be able to actually engage people in this participatory process and see, you know, what works for some and what works for others. And how do we find um, a new normal through that? What are those best bits for different people that we can take with us? And, you know, can we actually now create the best of both worlds or the best of three worlds. Um, in the recovery summit, um, I'll explore in my speech the three stages of recovery as I see them. Now, you know, I may be wrong, but I see kind of three stages uh, coming up um, that will actually have to embrace uh, a collection of different uh, workplaces. So the workplace is not the office anymore. The workplace is now your home and the office as we start going back and we'll have to actually embrace both. 
Um, you know, I don't think going back to the office means no more working from home. Um, for two reasons, at least. The first one being that uh, capacities in the workplaces have to be limited, which means that the entire workforce cannot be all in the office at the same time. So on the days you're not part of the 30 or 50 percent that is in the office, you know, you kind of fall back into working from home. Um, and the other reason is because uh, we have all found something pleasant about working from home. And for that, we might want to do more of that under certain circumstances. You know, for the people that have children, maybe they'll do that once when the kids are in school, which will be better than how it was during the pandemic. Um, for the people that are more introvert or have different tasks, that require less or more interaction and less or more focus. They might choose to do those tasks from home. So the choice has really expanded. And we really need to be able to ask the right questions and really know how to how to listen and how to interpret the answers in order to extract those best bits and then create um, a future of work that is kind of imminent. Not, it's not a long-term future that has the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think in those in those last comments there, it's it's that combination that, that we're seeing the way forward for that and creating spaces that people enjoy being in. And I think this is going to touch on a lot of things in terms of even meaning of work, uh, enjoyment at work, passion within work. And, and I'd like to get to those a little bit later in our conversation. Um and when you talk about the innovation process and, and asking the right questions, and it's innovating and iterating, right? Because we're not, you know, we're not going to get it right first time. I think perhaps that organisations have to have a very adaptable and flexible approach to the workspace going forward, and especially to counter these effects of a possible second wave, as you're talking about. You know, whereas in the past, a lot of workspaces, it was a kind of one size fits all. It wasn't customized for different processes or different personalities. And it was just the same. It was always the kind of same and it was slightly depressing. And I think that's maybe one of the good things that will come out is that the workplace will be a more changing and kind of organic uh, setting, right? Looking yeah. at, there's a couple of things to pull out. I mean, on, on the safety side, completely agree. And and I, I, pull, I, I asked this in the last episode on the podcast and another one that's already recorded. It will be the third and final episode within this theme, this quarter on the podcast of well-being in the built environment. In the short term, as we start to come out of quarantine and go back to the office, I mean, will it be a more cautious, you know, depressing place? Will it be kind of perspex walls everywhere, people will be nervous to have a coffee together. I mean, do you have something at ACA that's in your mind about, you know, catering for this two-metre uh, reality? Or how do we go about those first cautious steps, let's say? Yeah, I think it's really, that's a, that's a very interesting question. And I think the answer really depends on culture. So, you know, we work with, uh, we work across uh, a number of different countries, uh, in Europe and in the Middle East, and you know we get to see um, a myriad of of different cultures. And you know, if you look at the Dutch culture, they're generally quite relaxed as human beings. Um, you know, they're not that nervous or that um, 
yeah that that anxious about uh, about things and you can see that already in the behavior during the lockdown you know how how severe was the lockdown how did the population react to government guidelines and you know you can already tell where the where people are on the spectrum of how nervous they may be um so i can imagine that some countries will be much more nervous than others and um and then it's about how the workplace and the organization does it right so you know when when we were looking at um asia and opening the first organizations there and going back to work and the stories about you know people eating at their desks or people eating um in the cafeteria but of course spaced uh, quite far apart from each other to the point where you can't really have a conversation and you're eating behind a cardboard uh, shield which is basically just kind of you're you're hunched over the table eating your food under a cardboard uh, box or screen or 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 sheet of cardboard right N- none of that is pleasant and you think about that and you think if i have the choice i'm just going to go home and eat my meal like a dignified human being right mm-hmm. and 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 so it's it's really about how do we how, what kind of physical measures are taken in the workplace and how they affect um the health but also the psychological and emotional well-being of people um one of the few uh, the first few articles i wrote about the topic was actually specifically that and i felt like for good reasons we the world had a lot of um you know focus and measures on focus on the measures that we need to take in the workplace to keep ourselves and each others um safe and healthy and this is about the you know the plexiglass screens or the distances tape on the floor um all of that stuff and that's all good and what i was missing in this global discourse was not only how will that keep us safe which is good solid i'm all on with that but we, um i was missing the the few steps uh, next right so what happens after people have behaved that way for a while what happens after you know two months of not having normal human interactions or eating secluded at your desk or you know in in a corner in the canteen or things like that how does that affect the morale of people the the psychology the well-being the the mental health right so the the effect the post kind of uh, effect that take time to reveal themselves and we can't afford waiting for them to reveal themselves before we act because then your um you know your curing not preventing and that's mm. always more difficult getting towards um uh the opportunity side again and and some of your comments on processes and i think this p- participatory process it's about you know working with management working with organization to actually say okay how can we redesign a lot of the work that, that we are doing what are the things that can be done remotely or even better done remotely and the things that can't be done remotely right um you know really yeah. really merging synchronous and asynchronous modes really thinking about home work and and anywhere uh you know the simple things like brainstorming right getting more inputs on an asynchronous level around the world and then bringing people together on that to evaluate um you know in general that whole process redesign How, you know do you guys do much in that space of what are the conversations you've been having around that in the last few weeks so the idea there is to look at how do we create 
spaces, um, environments, whether it's somebody's home, somebody's office, a cafe, you know, a, a city planning. How do we create these environments in a way that they add value to the people in them, to the people using them? And how do we make sure that these places foster and support the interactions needed in them by the people using them? And this has been, you know, the, the question ever since. Now, with all of this uh, happening, what, what, what happens with our clients is, um, actually, even before the pandemic, over the years, we, we've been having a lot of clients for architecture projects using this process. And we've also started having requests of clients asking us to help them with the process that we use without it necessarily leading to a physical redesign. So the process that we use in our architectural um, projects is the principles and the phases that we use could be actually applied to anything. Now, we apply them to architecture. And I always say, you know, I invite people to apply the same process and the same phases and the same principle to whatever process they're going through, whether it's a change management process, whether it's a different design process, whether it's simply we have a problem and we don't know how to solve it process. Um, so over the years, we've been asked a number of times to help clients with these, with process management in a sense, um, if you like, without it necessarily leading to architecture. This is where we would lead an organization through a step-by-step -step process to uncover what the problem really is, what the solutions can be, how do you test and, you know, learning by doing, how do you iterate, how do you adapt, and then you go on and on with that. Um, and we do the process uh, with them and you do we do the process for them and then we teach them to do the process so we do a train the trainer as well so that we can actually step out and organizations become self-sufficient having people on the inside that can then do this process uh, ongoing because it is an iterative cycle and you need to kind of go through the process over and over at different timelines um, now with the pandemic happening you know we've had a lot of questions that were straightforward we need to make our workplace ready for the 1.5 meter economy as we're calling it or the six feet in economy in america and the idea is you know we need to accommodate for space and the first thoughts and the first ideas uh, were really about making the workplace adapting the workplace to the behavior that is needed so the starting point is we need people to stay away from each other so we put, you know, we space the desks or we put uh, screens or we put tape on the floor or whatever. And what we wanted to, to do is complement that with the, the other way around. So it's not just that the workplace can support the behavior. The workplace can activate a certain behavior. The workplace can trigger a certain behavior. And, you know, this goes back to um, an old belief of mine where if you have to put notes and post-its in a building to say, you know, close the door um, or to put a post-it on a glass because it's too clean and people bump into it or, you know, things like that. It means your space is not intuitive enough. It means your space is not actually well designed. So I'm on the side of letting the space speak for itself. And if you have to complement it with notes and post-its and signs, then that's not we haven't done our job as architects. And for me, there is the same opportunity here to say, if you want people to actually stay away from each other and behave in a way that keeps them uh, healthy and safe, then 
it's not about forbidding. It's not about tape and screens and, you know, telling people what they can't do. Can we not find a way of encouraging the right behavior? You know, it's instead of saying, don't do that, can we not find a way to say, do this? And it's a very subtle thing. But I believe that the whole atmosphere in the office would be different if the space was designed in such a way that intuitively you would behave in the way that we need to behave to be healthy. Absolutely. And it's actually it's one of the, the points I'll pick up on, on my own talk at the Recovery Summit on, on the hacks for behaviour change. And over the years, a lot of the things that we've pulled out has been the importance of the environment and even things like, you know, simple behaviours that make such a difference on health. Uh, for example, stair usage, right? And, and the design of many buildings is that, you know, the elevator is the first thing that you see when you enter a building, you can't even find the staircase. It's hidden away somewhere, right? <laughs> and it's and it's a cold and it's a shadowy place. So yeah. I, I'm firmly on board with you know the the importance of the physical surroundings and how's that how that acts as a nudge towards different you know positive behaviours. You know, I'd imagine this is it's an opportunity, right? You know, many organisations may be reducing their uh, real estate footprint. There might be less space but it should be more purposeful going forward, right? It should be more designed. It should be more thoughtful in terms of what they want to achieve and not just throwing up an office block and putting in a couple of cubicles and a couple of computers and, and telling people to go on with it, right? So really moving ahead, then, then there should be more of that opportunity for good design and good architecture, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's uh, there's no question what we've been going through is a global tragedy and you know in in the spirit of being eternally optimistic the idea is you know where is the silver lining in this what can we learn and how can we turn this into eventually we look back and we think actually this was a good thing and this is with no disrespect to the 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 tragedies that have been happening and the people that have lost their lives it's absolutely dreadful and and, and, you know, for that reason specifically, we owe it to this tragedy to actually pull something good out of it. And this is not just architecture. This goes much bigger than that for us as a as a humanity as a whole. But then going back to organizations and, and, and architecture, I think there is a tremendous opportunity actually to do things better, to waste less, to, you know, consolidate things and to focus on quality and not quantity. Um, and this is the same with organizations. It's not about the size of the organization. It's about the quality and the impact it creates. It's not about the big fancy headquarters. It's about how people interact and how they create added value for each other, themselves and society and, you know, customers and all of that. And, you know, where there is an opportunity, there is also a chance that people miss it. And this is kind of my own personal fear of how do you you know, how do you even now turn the question of a healthy workplace um, into more than just spacing desks and creating more space between things? You know, that that literal answer uh, for me is very dangerous because it's easy, it's quick, and, you know, human nature tends to go there as opposed to saying, actually, how do we use that as a chance to elevate the whole uh, the whole industry? I think, you know, looking at the industry and the discipline of architecture as a whole, I think 
for a for a profession and a co- like a, an industry that is renowned to be creative we we run it in the most uncreative of ways you know the processes that have been used the 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 ways uh, that different professional interact with each other architects contractors engineers have been the same for i don't know how long so for me there is definitely something there to say how can architecture actually you know serve people better isn't that really the core of the question you know how do we bring meaning into this how can architecture help people remain healthy and this is not the obvious answer of hospitals or air quality or uh, natural light and plants this is much more about behavior and um nudging behavior and looking at interactions and really nurturing the physical and the mental uh health of people you know it comes down to well-being really which is why we're talking on this on this podcast obviously and well-being is not just physical and well-being is not just about ergonomics in the in the office and it's not even just about uh, plants and natural uh, light and air quality all of those are essentials but we can't stop there well-being is about emotional psychological social well-being as well and all of those you know have to now have been kind of propelled into the foreground with this uh, crisis that we've seen and i think that's a great thing if we indeed carry it forward and refine it and and use that as a really deeper question yeah and and that brings me to the final question i'm not wanting to kind of end on a on a down note but <laughs> the da- the danger also for well-being is that because we have that increased flexibility and there may be, you know, more flexibility that you can do, you know, family things at home, but then you've got this kind of always-on channel, potentially, where work can come in. And, 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 and so potentially, you know, work-life balance is, is squeezed. You know, you can see the real value when it works. You know, you're, you're travelling less, you're commuting less, it's, but it's not going to be an easy transition for people because at least before it was much clearer you know it was there was more choices for people right and you know you had technology of course which muddied the waters in the last 10 or 20 years particularly the ubiquitous nature of of, of smartphones but mostly you left the office and you kind of left work but now yeah. if we have this flexible working and even we get people like satya nadella and microsoft and he's warning against making home working or flexible working the, the, the kind of standard. So we need to take care, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think this was kind of uh, one of the first uh, risks that uh, we identified with our clients and their employees. Um, you know, r- you know. remember the, the old-fashioned conversations uh, between couples of not bringing work home? Well, yeah, during the pandemic, you know, y- you didn't have a cho- much of a choice, really. And, um, and it comes down to very simple human things, right? So let's say you do stop work at a six o'clock, um, you make dinner, you feed the family, and then you think, okay, I'm going to relax now and watch a movie. So, well, watch a movie these days is usually Netflix. So then you, you open your computer and before you get a chance to get to Netflix, you see that email and you start answering it. And before you know it, you've been two hours now doing emails. 
And that cannot be good for you. Absolutely not. So, you know, one of the first um, pieces of research, and, and we published that in, uh, in articles on our website as well, is how do you protect yourself? And how do you create that uh, mental distance between work and home? And, and it's just not just work and home, because home means me time, means couple time, means family time, means house chores. You know, there's a whole bunch of things. And now they've all been kind of merged together in this in this mess, in a sense. And it is it is definitely essential to have um, distance between them, which in this case could not have been physical distance. And, you know, the idea of a home office, well, not all of us have humongous homes where we can afford you know having a whole room that you can kind of close the door and and that's where you do the work so we looked at uh different ways of creating that distance um in that article that we uh, that we posted i think it was three of them even it was because the, the idea was how do you you know how do you help people create distance between the different parts of our worlds um which is essential for sanity and balance right? And uh, some ways related to uh, habits, some ways related to the physical uh, environment, and some ways related to mental triggers. Thanks for for all those comments, Stephanie. Um, Can you remind us again, please, the time and day and the title of your session at the Recovery Summit? Uh, The day is the 16th of June. Uh, The time, I believe, is uh, 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. BST. Um, and it's about the recovery of the workplace and, you know, where do we go from here? Fantastic. So best of luck for that. I'm looking forward to, to being online and watching that talk. And thanks for your talk uh, and your insights today. Absolutely. It's been a great pleasure.